Hello, listeners. I'm Aaliyah with Below the Radar, a knowledge democracy podcast. Below the Radar is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, our host Dam Johal is joined by Elizabeth Paquette, a continental philosopher and assistant professor at the University of North Carolina. In this episode, Elizabeth speaks about her latest book, Universal Emancipation, Race Beyond Badu, as she critiques Marxian thinking that centers whiteness and discusses how ideas of emancipation need to be filled with the varied and particular knowledges of racialized folks. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to Below the Radar. Delighted that you could join us again this week. Really uh, excited to have Elizabeth Paquette joining us from University of North Carolina. She's written a new book that takes on some of the work of French philosopher Elaine Badu. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so I'm wondering if we can begin with you introducing yourself uh, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a assistant professor of philosophy and women gender studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm also affiliate faculty with the Holocaust, Genocide, and Human Rights Program in Africana Studies, and I've been here since 2015. I'm the co-founder of the LGBTQ STEM Faculty Caucus at UNC Charlotte, um, which was founded in 2015. I'm the director of the Decolonial Feminist Politics Workshop, which was established in 2015 um, in Montreal, was our first event. I'm also a French and Anglo-Canadian, uh, and I've been living in the U.S. South um, for about six years now. Uh, and Charlotte is on the traditional territories of the Catawba, Shara, Waxhaw, and Sugary peoples. Unrelated to all this, as a person, I also like rock climbing and salsa dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, delighted you could uh, join us this morning, uh, Elizabeth. When I when I reached out, when I'd heard about the the book uh, coming out, I didn't realize your Canadian connection. I'm wondering if we can just sort of begin with how you first encountered the work of uh, French philosopher uh, Elaine Badu and what you found interesting about it. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I think back about this, um, this process or this, um, my coming to Badu's work. Um, and it started in undergrad uh, when I was at Trent University. Uh, I read St. Paul and the Foundation of Universalism in a class that was called Return of the Religious. And I think something about that text, um, stuck with me. My training was very continental philosophy, and I always leaned toward French political theory. So I read a lot of Hegel and Heidegger, and I moved through Althusser and Balibar, and then eventually to Badiou. And Balibar and Althusser were, you know, Althusser was Badiou's teacher, and Balibar was in the in the, the student group uh, with um, Badiou. So there's a lot of uh, parallels, and it seemed as though Badiou was a sort of a natural progression for me as a student of French political continental uh, philosophy. And so I, I always enjoyed thinking about emancipation and what emancipation was and sort of the big concepts about like justice and truth and rights and these kinds of things. And I, you know, I was originally thinking about Badiou and feminist theory when I started uh, reading his work and started thinking about it more seriously uh, and thinking about how it is that, you know, my training in um, French 
feminist theory through scholars like Lucy Rigorai, Simone de Beauvoir, Julia Kristeva could fit with the kinds of things that Badiou was talking talking about. So that was kind of the, the progression. You know, I started in, in undergrad, I was very much introduced to his work. And then um, once I got to grad school and did my PhD at York University, um, I started reading more and more of, of, of his work in particular. And in, in terms of your specific project, how did you get started on the, the, the writing project itself? So the book is on uh, it's on bad you and race. I mean that's the, the the title points everyone in that direction right away. And so I think that with that particular project, there were a number of events that pushed me in that direction. So in 2014, I went to this uh, conference. It was called Diverse Lineages of Existentialism. It was in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and I saw Paget Henry, who is a, um, a wonderful scholar, and Sylvia Winter gave a paper on winter there. And so I was drawn to his account of winter. And so I started thinking about how it is that the writings of the winter relate to uh, Ally and Badiou. At that same conference, I gave a paper on Beauvoir. I wasn't working on critical race theory at that time. And following my paper, Paget Henry asked me, you know, why, why should we be interested in your project? And that shook me as a graduate student. I was very unsure of myself already. And so this question, which I think is a really important and fundamental question about, you know, what is it that my work is doing? You know, what do I, what do I hope it to do? Um, was something that I wrestled with for a good, good amount of time then. In 2015, I moved to the U.S. South uh, and I realized coming from Ontario, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the U.S. South. And so I, I spent several years and I'm continuing to do this work to think about where it is that I'm located and the history and the politics that inform the places that I am. Right. So I'd be having conversations with people and I don't know sort of the key texts or the things that people read in high school to inform the kinds of locations that they're in. So I've been doing that kind of project to think through specific political histories where I am. And then, you know, perhaps finally, in September in 2016, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was reading Alain Badiou's political work on revolution. And just a few days before that, Keith Lamont-Scott, who's an African-American man living in Charlotte, was killed by police officers. And so there were big protests in the city and they happened, you know, night after night for weeks on end. And so I, I was reminded of Paget Henry's question about, you know, what what does it do and why does this matter? And, you know, I was thinking about like why what is the function of reading Alain Badiou on revolution when there are calls for, you know, revolutions happening in this in the streets where we were, basically. So I left. I left the coffee shop. Um, I went to the organizing meeting that was, you know, 20 minutes away. And then I learned a great deal from people who were organizing Charlotte at that time. Um, and then about a month later, I came back to, to Badiou with a very different set of questions. Uh, and it was specifically, how is it that you know, Badiou responds to the the moments that are happening here and now um, in the place that I was living. Now, the, the book brings in a critique of how Badiou presents his concept of universalism and what it potentially leaves out in the way that it's um, articulated. And there have been a, a number of critiques of Badiou, particularly around matters related to race and gender. And I'm wondering if you can uh, speak uh, to your critique around his operationalization of the concept of universalism. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this this idea about universality um, and how it operates and what it looks like has been something that I have been thinking through through continental philosophy for a long time. And so I think that that's something that I found particularly interesting about what um, Badiou was trying to do. And so with that comes thinking about also what particularity is and, and um, how it relates to universality. 
And so that's very much my focus with Badu um, and how he's working through those ideas. Um, when he's talking about universality, you know, he's talking about a number of different things and um, he uses set theory. Uh, and so it gets very specific in, in the book in some, in, in some instances. Like generally the point is what is justice and what does it look like and how is it constituted and who constitutes it? And are there ways in which justice fails to be just given how it's constituted and ways in which it can be uh, emancipatory and in this in the way that Badu's talking about it, the ways that it can be universal. And so for him, justice doesn't come from the states. Uh, and so states that are inherently oppressive can't provide justice. And so what he says is that justice needs to exceed the state uh, and needs to come from something that is outside the structure of the state or the logic of the state or how it's organized. And so he makes a distinction here. On the one hand, he says that additive politics are thinking about expanding the power of the state. And so we could think about like notions of you know becoming more inclusive, but not changing the overall structure of how the state's organized as doing that kind of work. And juxtaposed against this, he calls for um, a subtractive politics. And so subtractive politics, while in a certain sense, it's, it's located in the, the moments of things that are happening, it exceeds the state. And so the sources for what counts as just or justice are beyond or outside the political state. And so he does this because he recognizes that states are problematic uh, and fallible and that will continually attempt to maintain their own power rather than provide this universal justice for all people. And so the expansion of it doesn't actually address the problem. And instead, we need to think about um, new states or this, this radical changes that become possible. And so I think the, the goals for what he's talking about are important, you know, and so I could think of various ways. For instance, there's an author, an indigenous author, um, Coltard, who wrote the book Red Skin, White Masks. And so in that, he's, he's saying, in a certain sense, we need not to perpetuate or expand the colonial nation state. The colonial nation state is itself the problem. We need something else instead. And so, you know, I think... I think that I think that makes sense. I think it's really important, especially thinking about decolonization within the context of uh, U.S. and Canada in particular. But the problem that I have with this um, articulation of subjective politics and how the justice gets constructed are the means through which he's he's trying to do this kind of work. And I think this is where um, he runs into problems. And he articulates it as uh, he calls it an indifference to difference. And so this is a concept that comes up repeatedly throughout the book. Um, there's a special issue that focuses on that as well. But I think that's sort of the place where I, that I paid particular attention. And so uh, in a certain sense, what he says is that in order to get to the subjective politics, in order to get to justice that's outside the state, um, we need to be indifferent to differences. And the differences that he names here are um, race and culture. And so he, he creates this juxtaposition between race and culture on one hand and politics and justice on the other hand, as though they're incommensurable with each other. Um, so the reasons why he does this is he says that race and culture are constituted through the state. And so that in order to address the problems of the state, we need to get beyond it. Um, and that these, these things are constitutive of the state itself and therefore can't be political um, and can't be emancipatory. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Glenn Coulthard's work. He's been a guest on this podcast uh, before. He's located here uh, in Vancouver. I'm wondering, you know, one of the when when Bedu has been pressed on this point around race and gender related to egalitarian, emancipatory uh, pro project, he oftentimes uh, speaks about that the uncounted have to be counted as part of the project. So he brings this up in, in set theory, but in that articulation. 
it seems to, as you said, the the indifference to difference piece, it, it smooths over or doesn't quite capture the radical uh, potential. And I think this is going to be a, a long debate uh, within uh, people who, who read Badu. But I'm wondering if you could uh, speak a little bit to what you find limiting in Badu's approach in, in his articulation uh, around this, particularly in its relationship to a, a radical emancipatory project. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a number of ways, different ways to approach it. And I think in the book, I try to um, approach it in several different ways. But I think the overall point is, has has been argued before. I want to I say that um, this is not something new that I'm bringing about. When he's offering a conception of uh, Marxism that uh, assumes that, you know, race is something that's particular and that it's been argued previously that class is something that's universal. So class impacts everyone. And also following the revolution, class would no longer exist. And, you know, in other ways, you know, race would no longer exist. And so it assumes that kind of relationship, which is something that's been consistent with Marxism for the past. But what is failed to recognize in these instances are the, the the debates that have existed in Black Marxism for a very long time. So Emile Césaire in 1956 in his letters to uh, Maurice Thérèse, which is when he resigns from the Communist Party, uh, he says that Marxism fails to account for race and that we need to complete Marx and particularize communism. Right In uh, 1952, Franz Fernand's Black Skin, White Masks talks about what needs to stretch Marxism, critiquing Sartre, who in a way that is very similar to what Badiou has said, that race is something that one needs to get over to get to class, which is the universal thing in order to achieve emancipation. And so I use that debate in a certain sense to say like this debate already exists. There are strong similarities between what Sartre is saying and what Badiou is saying, and that we need to be paying attention to these conversations. In 1933, Leon Trotsky in an interview notes that the American Communist Party has said in 1928 that it's for Black uh, Republic and that failing to support Black communists is centering whiteness, right? And so in 1933, this argument has already existed by Leon, Leon Trotsky. And then also um, Cedric uh, Robinson, Black Marxism in 1983 also offers the ways in which Marxism is limited because of its failure to account for race. Uh, and so repeatedly we see these amazing scholars who are providing the argument that if one does not account for the ways in which race needs to be part of the conversation for thinking about emancipation in the way that Badiou is saying is something that we get over, it's something we move past, then it's going to be a recentering of whiteness and a recentering of Eurocentrism. And so if we're talking about universality, if we're talking about ways of thinking about emancipation for all people, failing to account for race is, is going to mean that we fail to achieve these kinds of universality, right? And so these people wrote in the, in the, in the past, Charles Mills wrote in 1987 in an essay of a race and class, or it's 2003 from class to race. Catherine Sophia Bell, uh, Angela Davis are also making these arguments. So in, in a certain sense, I think it's really, I think it's really unfortunate that Badju himself and Badju scholars are not engaging in this research and have not found ways to uh, respond to the critique that he, you know, at this point, you know, Badiou, um, and I think Badiou scholars should be able to respond and should be able to account for the, the the history of Black Marxism and the arguments that are being provided. I think, you know, on top of that, for me, there are two other points that I bring up in the book that have been so central. One point is that when Badiou talks about race, he's talking about a negative conception of race, whereby race is, is constituted through racism. And, you know, I think that that social constructivist view of the relationship between race and racism is really important. 
But also at the same time, there are a number of scholars who are talking about why it's also really important to think about the positive conceptions of race. And so W.E.B. Du Bois in 1897, the conservation of race is, is talking about why race isn't just something that's negative and that it also can be um, things that are positive. Um, Lucia C. Outlaw and Chica Jeffers. Chica Jeffers is uh, Canadian on the um, East Coast, um, Afro-Canadian in the East Coast. And so he's also talking about ways in which positive conceptions become really important. And for Lucia C. Outlaw in particular, he's talking about why um, race because, becomes something that's important politically. And so it's not just something that exists um, you know, between people, but it becomes something that's really important for thinking about moving political movements forward. You know, and I think that, you know, if um, we look at social movements today, we can see why why that's certainly the case. I was going to ask, in, in the book, you bring up the, the work of the great writer Sylvia Winter, and I'm wondering what drew you to to her work in, in making your argument related to that. You. Yeah, so I was introduced to Sylvia Winter by the writings of uh, Paget Henry um, in 2014. And Sylvia Winter, uh, who's an Afro-Caribbean theorist who was uh, based in California later on, and she's a she's a system thinker. She so she she writes these really long and complicated essays, which I have always have a, a soft part in my heart for a long and complicated essays, apparently. But then also she's thinking about the relationship between universality and particularity in a way that, you know, is not inconsistent with what Baji was talking about. And so in some ways they have similar goals. They wanna think about how it is that one can end oppression on the basis of this from the state and what's needed for justice or emancipation, you know, broadly construed. But what I thought was really interesting about Winter is that when she thinks about universality and um, particularity, she doesn't see them as opposite or juxtaposed in the same way that Badu does. So Badu says, you know, these are uh, opposed and you can't have particularity to achieve the universality. Instead, she says that universality needs to be filled with particularity. And so I thought that was a really compelling uh, way of approaching the question. And what that does in the way that Badu doesn't, doesn't do these things is it imbues value in the experiences and the knowledges of marginalized people, right? So in addressing oppression through the states, um, you know, broadly construed, that people who are marginalized by the state will have, uh, you know, particular knowledge and experience that is extremely valuable in thinking about how the states should be, should operate differently. You know, and I think that, you know, um, for a number of scholars working in, you know, critical race theory, indigenous theory, decolonial theory, you know, broadly construed, that's, um, that's not, that's not surprising, you know, but I think that this way of thinking about universality as filled with um, knowledges from multiple perspectives is, is, is really compelling and really important. And so she draws this from CLR James, but she extends it in important ways. Uh, and it's called the pluriconceptional framework that she's using. And so through it, she, my understanding is that she can think about multiple forms of oppression, multiplicity of uh, identities, and that, that there are multiple ways of thinking and knowing that become really important for thinking about what new worlds are going to look like. It also means that it's not a one-size-fits-all and, and something that be, can be prescribed, you know, through um, a treatise necessarily. And so her, her essays are super complicated. Uh, she's very interdisciplinary. Um, you know, she goes from, you know, physics to, um, to chemistry, to neurobiology, to literature, to dance. And so I think, you know, she brings such richness to thinking about these concepts of universality in particularity. Um, for me, anyway, those are the things that are particularly important for me. One of the questions I have uh, for you is in, in thinking about continental philosophy, which has such a rich 
history. It, it does come from a situatedness and a geographic location. And so when questions of the universal and others uh, come up, there can tend to be blind spots. And I'm wondering if uh, within the continental tradition, you know, is there something salvageable or are some of these blind spots a fundamental feature of it? I know that's a large question, but wondering, given how you've approached uh, these questions around Bedou, what your what your perspective is? Yeah, you know, I think I think that's a great question. So thank you. Thank you for asking it. And it's something that I wrestle with a lot because my training is very much in a very traditional continental approach. And so when I teach, when I research, you know, I ask questions about why I'm doing this as opposed to something else. And so, you know, keeping in mind uh, Sylvia Winter, I guess my first uh, response is to think that, you know, it's really important to read um, a multiplicity of positionalities and sort of have that framing how it is that we come to know and think. And so, you know, this is for me the reason why I think reading Black Marxists is really important. Reading Indigenous scholars on Marxism becomes really important. Um, and doing work that is not just, you know, within a particular training Pedagogically, I don't de- teach continental philosophy in that traditional way anymore. And that's in part because uh, my students are, my, my students are overarching, overarchingly not, not that interested in it, which I think is great. And that, that there's, there's also so many other resources that we can turn to that are more applicable to the kinds of things that they're interested in and the kinds of experiences that they, that they're having, you know. And so I think that for me, that's been something that I, that I've been learning, to, learning alongside my, my students and having wonderful conversations with my students in that way. And then in terms of thinking about uh, my research and what I'm working on, in some ways, you know, I, I still publish on biology, right? I wrote, I wrote a book on bad Jews, so I'm very much uh, in conversation with continental philosophy. And, you know, it, that's, not, that's not done. I work in continental philosophy um, in my research more broadly. And in a certain sense, there's a bit of a political commitment with that. And it's in part because, you know, bad Jew has a very big following. Um, and a lot of people are working on, on his work. And I think that, again, it's really unfortunate that bad Jew scholars aren't reading more of uh, critical race theory of black Marxists on these, on these questions. And so in some ways, you know, I keep working on a continental philosophy as a way of thinking about interventions or broadening conversations. And that's, that's something that I, I will let continue to do for at least for a little bit. And it's for those reasons. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, anything you'd like to add? Elizabeth? Yeah. I mean, I think very generally, thank you for the work that you all are doing. I think that, uh, it's really important in as many means as possible to have conversations around topics that are not mainstream and to, you know, um, I think podcasts are, are a wonderful way of doing that right now. And so I think that conversations are shifting in a lot of places. And so it's wonderful that you all are making this available to um, to folks. And so I, I, I appreciate that. And so thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We're radically committed, committed to being below the radar. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Below the Radar is a knowledge democracy podcast created by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. Thanks for listening to this episode with Elizabeth Paquette. For more about her latest book, check out the show notes below. Don't forget to stay up to date with Below the Radar by visiting us online at sfu.ca slash voce or by following us on some of our various social channels on Instagram and Twitter at SFU underscore B-O-C-E or on Facebook at SFU B-O-C-E. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Below the Radar. Mm-hmm.